Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from the Gospel of Luke, as you heard a few moments ago. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, as we read God's Word, we all have our own subjective viewpoints, lenses, filters that we read God's Word with that come from all different kinds of places, from our background, history, life experience, and belief systems. What also happens is that as we read God's Word, the way we interpret what we're reading comes from a place that is imperfect. You see, we're all sinful human beings. None of us are perfect because we are all born with sin, original sin that's been passed down from Adam and Eve after the fall. And we do actual sins. We sin daily in our thoughts, words, and deeds. And as we read God's word, we hear it and interpret it through our sinful ears and minds. And so when we get to the stories or parables that Jesus tells, we'll often put our own personal spin, twist perspective on God's word. But sometimes it's not the best explanation because we are sinners and we don't always see and understand what God's word is saying to us, at least what he would like to speak to us. And as there have been many great people who have gone before us to help us understand God's word better, we know they also add some of their own thoughts to God's word. One of those ways is the headings that we have in our Bible as different sections are divided up within chapters. Those aren't found in the originals. Someone came up with these. Today we see one of those with the parable of the Good Samaritan. When we use the lectionary in the worship services, that's this three-year cycle of scripture readings for the church, that means we hear this parable every three years. If you have been in the Lutheran church all your life and you are 60 years old and the churches you attended use this three-year lectionary, it means you have potentially heard this story preached on 20 times. So if you would be so kind as to indulge a sinful human being like myself, I'd like to have us look at this story many of us have heard many times over and see if we can learn something new with our sinful ears, minds, and hearts by the Holy Spirit helping us to see what God is saying to us. It's easy for us to see something like Good Samaritan and we think how wonderful the Samaritan was in this story and the lesson we learn is go and do likewise, right? I mean, that's how Jesus ends this parable as he speaks to the person who asked this question and the crowd that is obviously there listening. We should all be the Good Samaritan. And there's even organizations and groups and laws named after this Good Samaritan. That's great and all, but maybe it's not the main point or the main lesson we should learn. We're selfish and we want to make it about us. That's why we make ourselves the good Samaritan. Because Jesus tells us to be like him because we think we're good. And the priests and the Levites, well, I don't know who they are. I mean, maybe they're everybody else, but they are definitely not me. No way. So the first thing I'd like you to consider today is that you are everybody in this parable except the Good Samaritan. When they were coming up with a heading for the, our Bibles, somebody read this and thought, 
huh, let's call this the Good Samaritan. Let's call this guy in the story, this Samaritan man, the Good Samaritan. But as I was reading this again, I was reminded of something that Jesus said, that no one is good except God alone. Even if we were to take that for what Jesus says, then we certainly can't see ourselves as the Good Samaritan, because only God is good. The other side of this is taking a look at the context of the parable. A lawyer asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? A question that is asked of Jesus multiple times in the Gospels. His response is, well, what does the law say? To which the man responds with the words of Jesus, a summary of the Ten Commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, that sure seems like not too difficult a task, especially for the Jews who were likely listening on. This Jewish expert in the law who asked the question, because that's what they thought saved them, keeping the commands. But even within keeping the commands, they did not treat everyone equally, which is why the follow-up question of, and who is my neighbor, comes from a desire to justify their actions, which were to treat anybody not Jewish as less of a human being because they were not God's chosen people. The Jews were. Jesus could have easily said, everyone is your neighbor, and left it at that. But Jesus doesn't always give those easy answers. He cuts to the heart of our sinful selves, our sinful nature, to help us see that we don't always measure up when our sole focus is on keeping the law as the means for our salvation. And God's word is pretty clear. We are not saved by our works, by our actions, by keeping God's commands. Paul tells us in Romans, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We do not keep God's laws perfectly. And what we deserve for all of our sins is death. It's punishment. It's condemnation. It's hell. The only way for us to receive forgiveness for our sins is by someone coming and keeping God's commands, his laws, perfectly. That was Jesus. He brings forgiveness and salvation to us through his death and resurrection. And the way to eternal life, the question that is asked, is not in keeping the law. It's in believing in Jesus. It's through faith. That's what Paul tells us in Ephesians. But even faith isn't something we do. It is a gift from God, freely given to us by his grace through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what I think we can learn today is that Jesus is the Good Samaritan as we dig into this story more. Remember, Jesus tells this parable in the context of a Jewish lawyer, an expert in the law, wanting to justify himself by asking, who is my neighbor? Jesus speaks about a man who travels from Jerusalem to Jericho. So he's likely a Jew based on geography, and he is robbed, stripped of his clothes, beaten, and left for dead. This person is you. In your trespasses and sins, you are dead and only deserving of eternal death. Then a priest and a Levite both come along and pass by on the other side of the road and do not help this man. 
the people who should be the ones to help, the religious, the holy, do not. If you're this almost dead man, then we could say that even the most holy people don't want anything to do with you. Do you ever hear of or know religious or Christian people that should take care of the needy, the sick, the dying, and don't? Or they treat people who are in that situation as less of a person and more of a problem? And have you ever been the one to act this way towards other people? Because if we look at the story and we're not the Good Samaritan, we're not just the man left for dead. We're also the Levite and the priest who don't help. And so it's the least expected person who comes and helps. The Samaritan. Now, in order to understand why Jesus uses the Samaritan, you have to go back to the history of how Samaritans came to be. And that's from a remnant of exiled Israelites who intermarried with Assyrians. By the Jews, Samaritans were viewed as half-breeds, as less than human, as outcasts. And Jews and Samaritans were openly hostile to one another. So when you go back to the original question of, who is my neighbor? A Samaritan would be the last answer a Jew would want to hear. Because they do not belong in my neighborhood. And it's the Samaritan who helps the Jew, binds up their wounds, carries them on their animal, takes them to an inn to be cared for. The Samaritan that pays for your the Samaritan then pays for your stay at this inn until he returns to pay for everything else. Now two denarii was two days wage, and it would have paid for around two months stay at the inn. So the Samaritan will come back. But maybe not anytime soon. Not immediately, necessarily. The Jews were supposed to be the righteous ones, but we already saw the Levite and the priest walk by. The Samaritan helped someone who would be considered their enemy, someone who was hated by this left-for-dead Jew. The Jew probably wouldn't even want the Samaritan to help him. But the Samaritan helps you, and you can't do anything about it. You can't stop it. Because you're essentially dead. You are going to die if you don't get help. The Samaritan goes above and beyond. He takes care of you, pays for everything, and will come back and pay the rest later. Any debt that is outstanding. Jesus is the Good Samaritan. He is not hostile towards someone who is seen as an enemy. He has compassion on him. Jesus is good. Jesus is God. Jesus is more holy than the priest and the Levite because he is holy and perfect, because he is God. In sin, we make God our enemy. We want nothing to do with him. He's not here to help us, even though we are dead in our sin. He's here to steal all of our fun. In sin, we hate God and his commands because they restrict us so much. We don't see God as coming to give us life. We see him as coming to take away our life because we don't get to live how we want to live, which is selfishly and according to our own needs. God does want the best for us. He wants to give us his love, his mercy, his forgiveness, his salvation.
All because of his grace. Grace that is undeserved. And we can't help but receive it because we're dead. It's freely given to us. It's a gift. Jesus goes above and beyond to bring you back to life. Becoming man. Traveling the journey to the cross. Carrying you, the weight, the burden of all your sins on his shoulders. And Jesus pays for it all with his perfect life. And if you want, you could even view the inn where the person recovers as life on this earth. It's just a resting place. It's not our final destination. So who's staying at the inn? You are. Even more so, you can view the inn as the place where the Good Samaritan takes you to be continually cared for, where Jesus calls you to be fed, nourished, your wounds clean. Your wounds cleaned. That's the church. And God has given you innkeepers to care for you in the church. Pastors who are called to care for his people. When you need forgiveness, he takes care of that through the absolution the pastors give. When we repent, Jesus forgives. Then he continues to give us even more than we need. He gives us the Holy Spirit who creates faith in us to believe in him. He gives us the incredible blessings in baptism, and you saw that with Noah James Baker today. Those gifts being forgiveness of sins, rescuing from death and the devil, and eternal salvation to all who have faith. Faith given by the Holy Spirit. Faith that Noah has. And then Jesus gives us his body and blood in the Lord's Supper for our forgiveness, for the strengthening of our faith, and for our salvation. And if you want to go back to the inn, and you want to know which guests are actually staying at the inn, apart from yourself, then we can go back to our baptism. And we have this little lamb's banner with all the names of the recent baptized babies. These ones are staying at the inn who are called to be cared for by the church. One day, the Good Samaritan, Jesus, will come back again. And because he's paid for everything through his death and resurrection, he'll take you from this place and will bring you to a new home, his home, heaven. This is the life that God wants for you and for all people, eternal life, with no more pain, suffering, and death. As Luke goes on to write in Acts, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. As the words and promises of God declare, this is most certainly true. Amen. And the peace of God which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.